Praise God. Praise God. I am so glad to be here. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 says this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And through their faith, everybody say their faith. I want you to notice the vehicle of how entrepreneurism was handled by the people of old. It was not through their ideas. It was not through their opinions. It was not through their theology. It was not through what they had gathered. It was only through their faith that the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Father, thank you for your presence that has already been so thick in this house today. I'm asking, Lord, that you would anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our bodies to put in action what we say we believe, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. If you're going to preach with me, you can be seated. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. That's where today's sermon is going to be. And while we are getting prepared for that, I I do want to say, Angel, it's so good to see you this morning. We're praying with you and your family. So sorry about the loss that y'all are suffering, but Jesus is greater. And while we may not always know how to deal with these situations, he's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And just know that your church family is standing with you. We love you, however we can serve. We are in part four of our entrepreneur series. Have y'all enjoyed this so far? Anybody been learning some stuff? There's like six people over here that have enjoyed it. Everybody else over here is still like trying to figure out if they enjoyed it. But we're going to dive in deep. This is part four. Today is group Sunday, as I've mentioned. And so I really felt like we should just go ahead and lean into the next principle of entrepreneurism, which is connectivity. Everybody say connectivity. And what we have been doing in this series is we've been looking at different elements of entrepreneurism. And even though that's not a biblical word, the, the concept of entrepreneurism is actually a God characteristic. And I've been taking things from entrepreneurism and showing you the spiritual parallel and how it plays out in the life of a truly dedicated believer. And we started off looking at profitability, then we looked at dedication, and half the church left over that one because they weren't ready to hear that one. And then two Sundays ago, we did intimacy, which was all about true worship. And then last Sunday, we celebrated freedom because it was Hot Dog Sunday. Y'all may call it 4th of July. I call it Hot Dog Sunday. And then today we are picking right back up in the series, and it's called Connectivity. And in today's sermon, I'm going to be challenging you to answer this question. Is my life connected to Jesus, or am I sustained by the world? Is my life connected to Jesus, or am I sustained by the world? In each week of this series, because entrepreneurism, like you're not going to look up in Hezekiah 6 and see, thus says God, be thou entrepreneurial. That doesn't say that. By the way, Hezekiah is not a book in the Bible for those of you that have only read the four gospels. Just let that one settle there real quick. But each week what I'm doing is I'm showing you something from entrepreneurism and then I'm showing you the parallel. And there are two things out of entrepreneurism that I want to lean into today. And the first one is the supply chain. Everybody say the supply chain. If you've been alive since 2020, you have been experiencing some kerfuffles with said supply chain. Life happens. But supply chain is a very, very important element within entrepreneurism. And this is the pathway 
through which resources are received. The supply chain is not some ethereal entity that exists out there in, in the interwebs, but what it really is is the pathway through which resources are received. Another entrepreneurial term that we're going to lean into today is the connection. You say, well, all right, well, what's the connection? The connection is the point at which the supply chain links the entrepreneur with the vision. And if you're a business owner, that vision may be the product that you're selling. It may be the next advancement in where your business is going. And cool, if you're a business owner, that's awesome. I'm just borrowing these things to show you what spiritual entrepreneurism is all about. So there's a supply chain, and then there's also a connection. But let me ask you this question this morning. What is your source and what resources are sustaining you? What is your source and what resources are sustaining you? And I'm going to be answering both of these questions over the next few minutes. And so I just want to start with the first one, if that's okay. And instead of saying, what is your source? I want to answer the question, who is your source? Because we can find our source in a lot of different what's, but the only true source is a who, amen? So if you don't mind, look in Ephesians chapter one. I'm gonna kind of be drifting through this first chapter and then dancing through chapter two and then touching some things in chapter six before we're done. Uh, I, I, as I was getting ready for today's sermon, God just kept giving me stuff out of literally all six chapters. I was like, Lord, we can't preach the entire book of Ephesians in one sermon. They're already mad enough at me when I go over 40 minutes. So if I did that, that's like six weeks. And I'm pretty sure somebody's going to have to go to the bathroom before that one's over. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to drift through this, and we're going to come back and touch some points of this in another series down the road. Is that cool? So here, here's your homework assignment. I want you to go home, and I want you to read Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. You say, what translation? Whichever one you'll read is going to be the good one. Stay away from the message. That's not a translation. That's a paraphrase, and there's some crap in there that ain't biblical, but... Stay away from that one. All the rest of them, you're probably going to be halfway decent on. But other than that, you're going to be good. Just get, get the word of God in you over the next week, and you'll have a whole lot more understanding about this. In Ephesians 1, we learn some things not only about Jesus, but we learn some things about the church. Amen? And the book of Ephesians, in the first couple of verses, Paul says he, he determines who he is, and then he determines his audience. But let me kind of go ahead and give you some understanding, because in, in the same way, whenever I preach something and we do Bible study type things, there's always somebody that comes back and says, yeah, but that doesn't apply to us because that was written to somebody else. That makes sense? You're like, you, probably some of you have heard that. It doesn't really apply to me because it was written for someone else. And that, that makes sense if you're looking at the Bible as a history book. But when you look at the Bible as the living word of God, that no longer makes any sense. And just even historically, some things that you need to understand about the book of Ephesians is that while Paul sent the letter to the church in Ephesus, he also sent the exact same letter to the church in Laodicea and also the church in Colossae. The book of Colossians is the church in Colossae. The church in Laodicea is referenced in the book of Revelation, and it's actually the church that Jesus said, I don't really have a lot of good to say about you. You're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. 
And I'm about to spit you out my mouth. That's what he said. That's what we know about the church in Laodicea. He said, well, why are you bringing that up? Because there's some things that we're going to learn today that is going to bump up against the North American postmodern church. And for all of our people that worship with us in, in the nation of Kenya, this also applies to you, even though you're part of, not part of North America. There's some things that bump up against our culture. And the reason is because over the last few decades, in, in my understanding, because I'm only a few decades old. I know I look older than I am, but I'm only a few decades old. But for sure in my lifetime, the church, the body of Christ, has leaned more into culture than it has into the Word of God. We've leaned into pop culture. We've leaned into psychology more than we've leaned into truth. We've leaned into various things, and as a result, there is little or no power in the church as a whole. We have people that push against the infilling of the Holy Spirit because they say that ceased at the end of the book of Acts. And these are the exact same people who will also justify suicide when a so-called believer takes their life because they're overwhelmed. And it got quiet in the house because you don't know where I'm going. I'm just touching on that. Nobody get offended yet. I'll give you several other things to be offended about here in just a second. But when the church pushes away from truth, the only other source that the church feeds on and the only other source that the believer will sustain themselves on is anything they can get into them. But you have to understand if it's not here, it's not true sustenance. If it's not here, it's not from the source. If it's not here, it will not put eternal life into your soul. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a believer that plays around with God reality and dances around with the idea of religion. I want to have Jesus or I don't want to have anything else at all. I'm not getting near enough amens, but that's okay. I'm coming for you anyway. So Paul preaches to the church in Ephesus. He preaches to the church in Laodicea, and he also preaches to the church in Colossae. And I want to jump into verse 4, and here's what it says. He says, For God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and we should be blameless before him. Notice the determiner here, in love. God chose us, but he didn't just randomly choose us. He chose us in Christ. Now, it's something that you, if you've been coming here any length of time, I've unpacked this a few times, but let me just remind you, because I want somebody to hear me. Anytime the word Christ is used in the New Testament, it's not just a direct reference to Jesus. It definitely is, but it's also referencing everything that he is in the eternal and everything that he accomplished in the natural. Jesus is not separate from God because Jesus is God. But in God's expressing himself into a human form and into human reality, this expression of godness did something significant. The God of all gods literally became actual, literal salvation. So when you see the word Christ, it is a direct reference not only to who Jesus is, but also to everything that he did. 
And I want you to see this here for God. Who is God? God is the source. And I've mentioned this a few times in this series. In, in Hebrew culture from the Old Testament and even in the first century, uh, Hebrews would not have referenced God as Father. That's, that's something that we do in our day and age. And there's, again, there's nothing wrong with that terminology because God is our Father, but they would have referenced Him more as source. Actually, the, the proper translation would have been the word creator. And isn't it interesting that we've drifted away from the understanding of who God is, so we look to all these other things, which is why our identities are so fluid now. We don't know who we are because we don't know where we, where we come from. We identify things that are on the outward when we should be identifying ourselves by the one who indwells us, amen? Y'all gonna preach with me this morning? Somebody know what I'm talking about. So who is God? God is the source for the source. Let, let, me, let me paraphrase this for you so you have a little bit better understanding. For the source chose us in salvation before he did anything else. Why, why is that important? Because you have to understand that if you are a person who names the name of Christ, a believer, a Christian for lack of a better term, if you are a person that says there is a God and his name is Jesus and I am nothing without Jesus in me, you recognize that he is your source and you have been preordained in the mind of God before he did anything else. Now don't let anybody's wacky theology tell you that you personally were predestined. That's not what Ephesians chapter one is about. Individuals were not predestined. The bride of Christ, the entity, the body of Christ is predestined. Each one of us has an opportunity to be a part of this predestined body. But this only comes through a connection to the source. Am I losing you? Y'all with me? Is this too deep already? Are we in Bible study mode? Cool. All right, here we go. Look at verse 7 and 8. Here's what it says, in him, in who? In the source. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Notice a pathway. There's a reality. In him, and then in him, I have redemption through a pathway, which is his blood. And then there's, then there's this phrase that's just kind of dropped in, which is the forgiveness of our offenses. Another word for offenses is sins. And then notice this, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us, modern believers want him to do things for us now, but we forget what he's already done. We're wanting lavishing in the here and now. He says, I lavished you already. Are you going to walk into the lavishing? I've said the word lavishing so many times. That's more than I've ever said it in my entire life combined. According to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us, notice this, in all wisdom and insight. In him, in who? The source. In the source, I have redemption through his blood. So what does this tell you about the source? Who is our source? The one who redeemed us with his blood. Who redeemed us with his blood? There's a couple of y'all that y'all with me. Some of y'all went to Sunday school when you grew up. Here, here. The source is Jesus. There's not some ethereal other godliness. There's not some other entity. The source is the creator. Jesus Christ is the creator. The Bible says that in him were all things created and for him were all things created and by him do all things exist. He is the source of everything. And somebody hear me. The reason the church struggles as a body and the reason that individual Christians 
struggle as individuals is we don't recognize who our source is. We find redemption, life change. Everybody say life change. There's only one way to achieve life change, and that is through the blood of the one who is the redeemer. Drop down to verse 12, and it says, so that we, everybody say me. No, y'all say it like y'all gonna preach with me. Everybody say me. So that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ would be to the praise of his glory. And right here, we see Paul beginning to unpack the first levels of this entrepreneurial characteristic of God. So that we, who is the we? Every one of us who intentionally step into the realm of the bride. We were the first. What is first? Entrepreneur means the first out, the first to take a risk. You're going to have to be willing to take a step where the rest of the family doesn't take a step. You're going to have to be willing to step out there when the rest of the friend group doesn't necessarily step out there. You're going to have to be willing to step out, out of what is comfortable, out of what is known, even when the rest of society, and let me dare say, even when the rest of religion is not willing to step where you're going, you got to be willing to step out of what was into the reality of who is. So that we who were the entrepreneurs and we begin to set our hope. What does that phrase set our hope mean? The phrase set our hope is literally what we call repentance. We set our hope on Christ. Again, remember, who is Christ? Christ is not only Jesus, but it's a direct reference to who he is and what he did. So we can see that we are stepping out and we are setting our hope through repentance in Christ or on Christ, who is our salvation and so this is going to be the praise of his glory. What does this mean? This means that our life of repentance, when we set our hope on Jesus, somebody hear me, when you set your hope on Jesus, you literally take your hope off of literally everything else. Because God will not share glory with another. When you set your hope on Jesus, you're saying, I don't need anything else. I don't need a liquid. I don't need a substance. I don't need a relationship. I don't need an activity. I don't need someone else in my life. I don't need all of these things. I need Jesus. And when you set your hope on Jesus, my friend, this is what we call repentance. Except that's not what we do when we repent. When we repent, we confess and we say, I'm sorry for my sin. And then we go back and do the sin again. I'm going to repent, Jesus. You know what I did. And I'm not going to talk about it anymore because that's bad. So don't look right now. God, it's just my struggle. Look, I, I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to need a little bit of pop culture to make me feel relevant in the world. I need a little bit of psychobabble so I feel good about myself. Instead of actually dealing with my past through true repentance, I want to deal with my past through conversation that's based on human intellect and human wisdom, not on the truth of who the real counselor is. And we chase all of these ideas and we are living with our hopes something set somewhere other than the one who is our hope. And we set our hope on ideas. We set our hope on humanity. And, and let, let me just say this. We even set our hope on our religion. This is why there are so many self-proclaimed theologians. Their hope is in their intellect, not in the truth. 
Because the moment you would fully understand God, is he still God? But we chase these ideas and we set our hope on all these other things. And we wonder why our lives are empty. It's because something else is becoming our source. Remember, I asked the question, who is your source? I don't need you to answer this out loud, but I want you to be thinking, who is the source of my life? Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, when you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in Christ, again, salvation, you were marked. Everybody say, I was marked. I was marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit You mean the dove? No. Who is the Holy Spirit? The down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Like like Paul's deep. Paul says some big words and I'm struggling to follow. All right, cool. Me too. So let's break this down. Is that all right that we're in Bible study mode today? All right, cool. Let's break this down. When you heard the word of truth, everybody say heard. When you went to a Sunday morning worship experience and you heard someone preach or when you went to a small group and instead of talking about their life struggles, they actually unpacked the word of God. This is the word of truth. When you're hearing the word of truth, not when you sing the word of truth, but when you speak the word of truth, there's something powerful that comes when you begin to speak with your mouth the understanding that only comes through divine wisdom and it begins to be imparted to you. This is why worship only takes us so far. If you step into worship and then you step out when it's time for the word, my friend, you've got no true faith in you. You're fixing on religion and you're not putting your faith on Jesus. When you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation. Here's here's the question I have for you. How many believers truly know who the gospel is? I was recently told that I preach another gospel, which was interesting to me because every Sunday I do my dead level best to preach Jesus. And I said, okay, I I don't want to do that. What is the other gospel? And they went into all this. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this, Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh and the the all-time eternal God manifested himself, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, sacrificed himself on a cross, went into a borrowed tomb, came out of the borrowed tomb three days later, and then roughly a month later, ascended back into the heavenlies, and roughly 10 days later, baptized humanity with his own character. There is no other gospel because there's only one, and his name is Jesus. When you hear the word, who is the word? John chapter one lets us know that Jesus Christ is the living word. When you hear Jesus preached, you step into this place of real radical hope because this is truth. But he doesn't stop there. He adds adds another layer to this. When you hear the preached word and then you believe in Christ. What is belief? Philip and Kelly wrote this amazing song about what real belief is. I'm not going to ask y'all to sing it, but it's something along the lines of like, trust, rely, obey. There you go. We spent like a year unpacking what real belief is. It's when you trust him. It's when you rely on him and then you obey him. Here's the problem. Religion says obey him and then you'll figure it out. No, you will not. 
That's why you're struggling. You're trying to obey someone you don't trust. You've got to trust him first. This is a step of faith. I don't understand anything, but I'm putting my hope on you. I don't fully get it, Lord, but I'm putting my hope on you. I may fall flat on my face, but I'm going to put my hope on you. That's trust, baby. You're not going to be able to obey until you first learn to trust. And when you make the decision to trust, this is when absolute godly reliance on your source begins to be birthed inside of you. And you're like, you you talk to somebody that's going through absolute hell in their life, you're like, why in the world are you going through this? And you're still smiling? It's because this individual has trusted in the Almighty and the Almighty has proved himself over and over and over. And this individual says, I am not my source. My God is my source. And I rely on Jesus. And I don't rely on anybody else. And when your reliance is turned on the God of all gods, it's not a burden to obey. Here's how you know that you are not trusting in him. Why I got to do that? That's just not my personal conviction. My last church didn't teach me that. That's not my theological understanding. My cemetery that I went to, seminary. More Christians die in seminary than they do in life. All all this other stuff taught me all this other stuff. You don't trust him. You trust in yourself. That's why your life is producing no fruit. You trust in yourself. You're relying on your own. You are your source. And as a result, you have no obedience. And therefore, your life is not carrying the character of Christ anywhere. And then you were marked. I love this part. You were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Someone asked me recently, Pastor, do I have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be saved? You're asking the wrong question. What we call salvation is more biblically defined as justification. When you set your hope on Jesus, your life is justified by the true architect and by the true carpenter who is the only one who can actually justify anything. Everything else is, is a masking and that whatever's built on that is weak. But when the real architect of humanity, the one whose image and likeness we're built into, when he justifies our life, that justification begins a journey that starts with our repentance, which is hearing the word and then trusting, relying, obey the word. Amen. Y'all with me? Y'all, y'all tracking with me? And then there's something that begins to happen in your life. When you hear the word of God and you truly believe you are going to take a step and when you take a step, something changes in your life. And for far too many believers, their step is this at the end of a 30 or 40 minute sermon and they wonder why six weeks later they're having to raise their hand again. And then the theologians say, well, you were never saved in the first place. You're partially right because none of us are saved yet. We're being saved according to the Bible. We receive justification, which puts us on the pathway of salvation. But salvation is the reward at the end of all this. 
Salvation is eternal life. Justification is what happens when you repent. And when you repent, you change your mind. And then immediately your actions change. What is the very first step after true repentance? Water baptism. Notice God doesn't do anything to you in water baptism. You make the choice to get wet. You make the choice to place yourself under his authority by naming his name above you. That is your choice. That is your participation. And he says, hey, if you repent, if you hear the word and you trust, rely, and you obey me, and then you get baptized into everything that I am, here's what I promise you that I will do. I will baptize you with my spirit. Believers, stop at repentance. They misunderstand scriptures that say, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you shall be saved, which is true. But that doesn't mean that that's the end of it. There's something a whole lot bigger than just confessing who he is because even the devils confess who he is, amen? But when you confess who he is and then you begin to live a life that shows that you actually believe what you confessed, you get all the barriers out of the way and he says, now I want to mark your life with something that you have no ability, power, or understanding to do. I want to mark your life with the fact that I am going to indwell you. You've read the scripture that these particular believers have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. Where does the power get into my, how do I get the power in me? Is it four payments of 1995 on the third day of every fifth month? No, here's how you get the power in you. You gotta first repent of your sins. You gotta be baptized into the name of the almighty. And when you get all of that junk behind you and you begin to take steps toward him and you set your hope on him, he makes the promise, I will baptize you with everything in my character. I will baptize you with the Holy Holy Ghost and I will baptize you with fire and I'm not just going to touch you, I'm going to indwell you. And the religious would say, well, that's not for everybody. That's only for the special Christians. Hogwash. It's for whosoever will. It's for those who are close. It's for those who are far. It's for those who were there that day. It's for as many as the Lord our God shall call. You're asking the wrong question. Can I be saved without the Holy Ghost? Why would you even attempt it? Why would you go through life with no power in your life, trying to live a life that's literally separate from everything else? Oh, maybe it's because you're marginalizing your faith and accepting all this other malarkey and you're trying to do it on your own because you don't know who your source is. But when you're connected to the source and the source is connected to you. That's a very, 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 very important element there. You're connected to the source. The source is connected to you. I'm in the source. The source is in me. Rogue One fans are all up in the house. I'm in the source. The source is in me. I'm in the source. The source is in me. Yeah, I'm changing the word, but it's okay. Just go with me on this. Tim, am I still okay? All right, cool. Praise the Lord, man. Praise the Lord. When you're connected to the source and the source of all everything is connected to you and your repentance is more than just something you say with your mouth, it's something you live with your body and you are baptized in his authority and everything from yesterday is washed away, now you are ready to house the character of the Almighty. Why do I need the Holy Ghost? The Bible says it right here. He is the down payment of our inheritance. 
I need a down payment, God. I need a down payment because life is hard. I'm depressed. I'm suffering with anxiety. My friends are walking away from me. I'm going through absolute hell. I'm sick all the time. There's things in my body I don't know how to control. I'm lonely. I'm abandoned. I'm broken. I'm addicted. Whatever your story may be, this is why you need the down payment of your eternal reward. Because you can't receive the eternal reward right now because you're not in eternity yet. But in the time between repentance where you set your hope in your salvation and you begin to live in that set hope between that point and the point of da-da-da-da-da-da and the church is called away. In between those two moments, you need a down payment to get through every day. Well, nobody told me I needed to. I just told you like six times, you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The believer who does not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the believer who will chase their own ideas more than they will chase the truth of who Jesus is. And these are the believers whose lives produce nothing but more and more and more and more chaos. There's a connection to the source, but it's kind of like the the fuel connection in my wife's car right now. It's there. It's there. But when I drive... Because the Bible says what thou doest, do quickly. So I believe in doing it quickly and with all my might. It's got that, that 350 supercharged engine in it. It's a big old boat and like, like big old like air, airplane carrier. But when I put my foot on it, it goes, it'll take off. Except I did that too many times over the stupid dumb roads in New Orleans. And over the time, the, the connection between the fuel line and the engine goes, It's not speaking in tongues. It's just like. (laughs) So there'll be times I'm sitting at the red light and the little dude and and the little rice rocket pulls up next to me and his car goes. Like, bro, you don't even know nothing about no American muscle ingenuity. Me neither, but it sounds good. And I put my foot on the gas as I used to do, kind of like Samson. I begin to do it like I used to do it, thinking I was going to get the same results. But because the connection between the fuel line and the engine is not solid, there are some times when I go, uh, and it goes, uh. and Rice Rocket goes, and I have to say, psych. The same thing happens in our life. We rely on yesterday's experience. We rely on what little bit we actually think we know, which our understanding is always limited because we can't comprehend everything that is God. And then we step out in the world as as something that we think we can handle. And because our connection to the source isn't solid, we're doing it on our own strength. And that's in the moment when we find out exactly how weak we truly, truly are. Say, Pastor, why are you coming to me? I'm coming at me too. Because then moments of hell in your life is when you find out just how strong your faith is. If the first words out of your mouth is, why me? And the second words out of your mouth is, I ain't doing this no more. You need to recognize the reality. Your connection to the source is not solid. That doesn't mean you're an evil person. Don't believe the lies yourself will tell you and don't believe the lies the enemy will tell you. That means your connection is rattling and you need to go back to an altar and you need to grab the the supply line. You need to plug it back into the source and say, I'm not moving until you make this connection solid. 
You say, well, how do I do that? You need the seal. You need the seal on the connection. How does the seal happen when you're baptized in the spirit of God? You're not sealed. Your connection will rattle loose until the baptism of the Holy Ghost comes on. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost literally seals your life to your source. And then if, everybody say if, big capital letters, if, if you live every day continuing to set your feet on your hope and you continue every day to trust, rely, obey, and you continue to live how you should live as it is defined in the word of God, your connection will not weaken. Because in your moments of weakness, even when you don't know what to pray, your seal begins to pray through you. And the reason so many believers struggle with so many things is they don't believe what I'm preaching right now. They take 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, and 14, rip it out of the Bible because it doesn't apply anymore, so they say. And then they wonder why they're constantly chasing other ideas and there is no power in their life. My friend, you can't tear those pages out of the Bible. You got to go right back to them because that is your connection to the source. Real quick, I'm I'm about to run out of time. I got to finish this up. The source. Who is the source? Jesus Christ. In other words, God who is my salvation. What is the connection? The connection is when we set our hope in Christ and we're making the connection when we make him the Lord of our life and we follow his instruction in water baptism and we begin to live a life that looks completely different. Let me go ahead because I don't have time to preach it right now. I'm going to fast forward into where we're going in the month of August. And by the way, I'm inviting anyone that wants to join me. I'm doing 21 days of prayer and fasting in August. It's not going to be official. I'm I'm just doing it if you want to join me because God is calling us to a place of repentance. Our series in August is going to be the series Changes. Look at your neighbor and say, changes. We set our hope in our salvation. Okay, real quick, I want to make sure you get this. The connection is made when you hear and believe the gospel. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. The connection is sealed when you set your hope in Christ. That's water baptism. And then you're marked with the down payment of your inheritance, which is when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. What is that for? Here's what happens when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. It is an external evidence of an internal designation. Something happens on the inside of you And then externally, things are beginning to change. The initial change that you see is when you begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives you the utterance. It's not your prayer language. It's His prayer language speaking through you. And then everything from that point on is the fruit of the Spirit being evidenced in your life. There is something that happens on the inside, and it is evidenced on the outside. Amen? Like four of y'all are praying with me because I just bumped some theology. That's that, but that's okay. That's why you came today. Ephesians chapter two verse ten. Let me. I'm, I'm bringing this. I'm I'm making the turn here. We're we're preparing. The lights are already on on the runway, and the little lady has come on and like, please prepare your seatbelts and your tray tables. All right, we're, we're getting close. Notice I didn't say I'm closing because y'all know I was lying and lying will send you to hell. So I'm I'm, I'm just. I'm preparing for I'm preparing for the drop off here. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, for we everybody say me. me. For we are his creative work having been created in salvation for good works that God the source prepared beforehand when's beforehand before Genesis 1 and 1 but prepared beforehand so we can do them. Don't let anybody lie to you and tell you that your faith doesn't have works involved. That's a religious lie. 
The saved person who doesn't have works in their life displaying their salvation is not a saved person. They're a religious person. There are works that will happen. Good works will not result in salvation, but your connection to the source will result in good works. If good works are not coming out of you, your connection is rattling just like my fuel line. Well, I, I just don't do that. That's, that's not my ministry. I don't, I don't have a grace for that. Religious ease. Look them in the eyes and say, shut up. This is a question I ask people, especially when they come at me with a lot of religion and they're, they're bumming. I say, okay, who are you discipling? Nine out of ten times the result is, what do you mean? You're judging my salvation by my works? A absolutely. Yeah, because that's what the book of James tells me to do. You're not supposed to judge. No, it doesn't say that. It says, just realize whenever you judge somebody, you're going to be judged with the same measurement. It doesn't say don't judge. It says don't cry about it. When the judgment comes back at you, don't cry when the judgment, you, somebody throw it at you and you throw it right back, guess, guess what? It's coming back at you. If you don't want it to come back at you, close your mouth. But if you come to me, I'm going to tell you the truth. Who are you discipling? What fruit is your life producing? Because I can tell how connected you are, not only by what's coming out of your mouth, but by the evidence of the life that you're living. I can see who you're feeding off of. I can see who your source is by what your life is producing. The connection with the source also connects you, hear me, hear me, with the supply chain. The connection with the source connects you with the supply chain, which is the body of Christ. And you see this in chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. And over the next chapter... Paul unpacks two very vital truths. He talks about the individual responsibility to what you say you believe. And then he opens the door for the rest of the letter that he writes to these three churches and subsequently to every one of us. That not only do we have personal responsibility to the gospel, we have collective or corporate or congregational responsibility to the gospel as well. Say, oh, now it makes sense that it's group Sunday. Yes, thank you. I'm so glad you came with me. So we already answered, who is your source? If your source is anyone other than Jesus, you need to change sources. And if your connection to the source is rattling, you need to fixify that. You need to get down on your knees. You need to re-repent. You need to re-be baptized. You don't have to be re-water baptized. But you need to get some more of the Holy Ghost up in your life because you need that connection secure. Amen. Y'all with me? If you're with me, say, whoo. Like I'm at a Maverick City concert, along with half of our young adults. But anyway, oh, oh, is it too soon? Too soon? Too soon? <laughs> All right, let me ask you the second question: What resources are sustaining your life? Who is your source? What resources are sustaining your life? So we talked a little bit about the supply chain, but here in the book of Ephesians, and I'm not going to take the time to unpack every bit of this, but I want to challenge you to go read this. If you're reading through the book of Ephesians, you're going to see the supply chain that is God's supply chain for every believer, directly from himself, who is the source, into every individual believer. Y'all ready? And it's going to be on the screen. Take a picture of it. Write it down however you want to do it. Here is the supply chain. He says first, live in unity, and that's in chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Then he says, 
live in holiness, chapter 4, 17 to 32. Then he says, live in love, chapter 5, 1 through 5. Then he says, live in light, chapter 5, 6 through 14. Then he says, live in wisdom, chapter 5, 15 to 21. Then he says, live in family, which is marriage, chapter 5, 22 to 33. And then live in expansion, which is children, employees, and employers, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Whew, you just got a whole like year-long series in just like 39 and a half seconds. It's all on the screen now. I'm going to unpack it. How do I live in unity? First, you have to be connected to the source. You will not live in unity if your connection with the source is not firm. Everything that happens, you will question. Every move that is made, you will second guess. You will opinionate instead of obey. You will always have this, the other answer. You will always have the extra information if your connection to the source is not solid. But when you are living connected strong with the source, you literally live every part of your life in unity. And then he says you got to live in holiness. What does this mean? Holiness is who God is. God is holy, amen? And if you're not holy, you're not going to see God. That's what the Bible says. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. Our holiness never measures up to him. In fact, he says, your righteousness is like polluted garments. On your best day, you ought to be flushed. That's what he says in the book of Isaiah. Pastor Rachel can back me up on that because Isaiah is her favorite book in the Bible. You ever want a good, strong word from the Old Testament, go to Pastor Rachel. She's going to throw you some Isaiah. Here you go. So, so what does this mean? Live in holiness. If my righteousness doesn't measure up, what is it? My holiness is not my outward appearance. My holiness is not my list of standards. That's what religion says. But my holiness is when I debase myself at the throne of the Almighty and say, you are greater than I am. So my holiness literally becomes my self-sacrifice in his presence. And he says, I don't like that. And we say, Okay, I won't do it anymore. You see, if we say anything else, our connection's loose. We don't trust, so we don't rely. And we sure as heck don't obey. We're not in unity, and holiness escapes us. But the supply chain is unity and holiness. The third thing in the supply chain is live in love. What is this talking about? This is living in unity and holiness with other believers. I love you. I don't have to agree with you, but I love you. I don't have to like you. Parents know what I'm talking about right now. You do that again, I'm not going to like you very much. I'm going to love you, but I do not like it. You want to step up like or step back like five steps because I don't like you very much right now. My love has given you the opportunity to step back. <laughs> Preston, you'll find out. It's going to happen one day. But I live in love. Here's the deal. Society says we have to agree. No, we do not. We may not agree, but love says I don't agree, but I see you as an image bearer. Even if your connection's not strong, I see you as an opportunity for me to display the love of Christ to you. This starts in the body of Christ and then it extends outside where we spread the gospel. The next thing is live in light. What does this mean? This means live in understanding of truth. Not living with the lights turned on. Some people are so transparent they don't know when to shut up. 
And they wonder why when they rattle off all of their personal business, why everybody backs away. That beeping noise you hear is them backing away. And then they wonder why they're alone. It's because you were way too transparent. Like sometimes you should use your inside voice. Transparency is not light. Light is when you live in the understanding of truth. Here's the deal. You cannot live in light until light gets in you. And when your connection is not solid, light doesn't transfer. Light escapes out of the false connection. And there's no light getting in. And you wonder why your life is so filled with darkness. Man, I struggle with depression and anxiety, but I believe in Jesus. Really? That offended some people. That's okay. I'm not talking about chemical depression. I'm talking about emotional and relational depression. You're not supposed to live in that if you're a believer. Pastor, how do you know that? Because he says that when that happens, you're to go into your prayer closet and let him pray through you to encourage you and lift you up and build you up. It's not God's plan for any believer to live in emotional depression or emotional anxiety. It's not his plan. And when it happens, it does not mean you're evil. Hear me. It does not mean you're evil. It means your connection is not solid. It's an indication to you. Hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait, what's going on? My connection is loose. I got to go back to the altar. I got to get back in the presence of God. I have to reset my hope in my salvation. And then I've got to start living my salvation. And I have to allow the God of all gods to begin to speak into me. You're like, Pastor, I don't believe that. That's why you struggle with that so much. Pastor, this goes against everything I believe. Good. You're welcome. Because here's the deal. We are way too emotionally driven. We're controlled by our emotions, and emotions, while they are real, feelings are not. Emotions are nothing more than indicators that there is a connection problem. Emotions are the check engine light of our lives, not the reality. When you drive around with your check engine light on, it's because you think you know better than the vehicle. Case in point, <laughs> I do that. And then I go to the, I go get my oil changed because they'll hook it up to the computer and go, and the light goes off. I'm like, yes, everything's fine. I hit that railroad track, boop, the light comes right back on because my connection with my fuel line is not solid. And I'm living a lie because of, oh, everything's fine, but everything's not fine. And when the emotion light goes off in our life, we think, oh, that's reality. That's not reality. It's an indication to you that there is a connection problem. Your supply chain is going to start experiencing some issues because your connection to the source is not solid. Don't live there. Fix the connection. Y'all with me? All of you who were offended now realize where I was going and you can stop being offended because I gave you some truth. All right, here we go. Live in wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, isn't that the same as understanding truth? No, wisdom is I understand truth. Now I'm going to allow truth to determine my steps instead of my opinion determining my steps. Then live in family, and he, he's specifically using marriage as the baseline. It's not the only way that families are lived, but that is the baseline. Wives, know your role. Husbands, know your role. And this is where he offends all the women in all the society. Women, submit to your husband. That's what it says. And they think, oh, I'm supposed to put my head under his boot. That's not what it says. It's not what it says. It says submit in the same way you submit to Christ, out of love. Because you recognize who Christ is, and you realize he would never put his boot on your head. So if the fool's putting his boot on your head, slap him in the mouth and back up. Right? Okay. I, my wife is very submitted to me, but I'm not dumb enough to put my boot on her head. She will cut me. 
I'm pretty sure she's got some coyotes who are family, and they, the cartel will come, and they will take care of Blanco. Blanco is adios. <laughs> like, we don't do that. Wives, submission to your husband is not subservience to a chauvinistic dork. Because if he is not acting like Christ, you don't have to submit to that. You submit to the man who spends more time on his knees talking to his God than he does playing his video game and checking the sports score and seeing when hunting season opens and nothing wrong with any of that. Not a thing wrong with any of that, but when his life lessons come from watching Die Hard instead of going into the word of God. He's not following God. Don't submit to that. Submit to God. And men... Don't throw your chauvinistic maleness around. Your extra appendage does not make you better. You represent Christ in the marriage. Act like it. Stop crying all the time. Stop nanny babying baby because she's doing things you don't like. Get on your knees and pray through. Say, why are you coming for men? Because men are supposed to be able to handle it. And if you can't, your connection's loose. Pastor, you're being mean. No, I'm not. I'm trying to wake you up because you're living with the check engine light on and you wonder why there's no power in your life. So opinionation is coming out, but truth is not coming out and nothing is being produced in your life. Your connection to the supply line is broken. You need to reconnect. You need to get filled up with the Holy Ghost. And when you go to speak, he's going to say, oh, don't say that. I didn't tell you to say that. Shut up. That fool got a gun. He's going to put it in your face. Don't do that. Okay, live in family. But he doesn't stop with mom and dads. Then he goes to children, and then he goes to employers, and he goes to employees. Because expansion happens when we start with unity. And we live in holiness and in love and in light and in wisdom. And we live in family relationship with each other. Why do we call the church a family? Because we are supposed to be the family of God. I don't like them. Welcome to family. Have you never been to Thanksgiving? Half of them want to watch a stupid parade. The others want to watch a bunch of overpaid children throw a ball around. And nobody wants to bring me my dang food. Get your priorities right. I'm just saying like family is going to argue. Family is going to disagree, but at the end of the day, they're still family because they're unified because there is something common called blood flowing through them. In spite of all the differences of opinion, there's blood flowing and the blood makes the connection. Man, I haven't seen you in a minute, but I'm blood. He'll never see this, so I can say this. My, my brother and I disagree more than we agree on anything except on one major valuable asset. The stupider the joke, the more we love it. I won't hear from my brother for six to eight months. Are you mad at each other? No, he's collecting jokes. How do you know? Because that's exactly what I'm doing. Then out of the randomness, boop, what'd the farmer say when his cows came home? Question mark, dot, dot, dot. My cows came home. Then I won't hear from him for eight months. 
You're like, where's the punchline? That was the punchline. Welcome to my life. But do I think for a half a second that my brother doesn't love me? No, he does love me because there's a commonality called blood flowing through us. And in the, in the church, there's a commonality called blood and the blood of our Savior whose blood washes us and seals the connection and then secures the connection with the baptism of his character. And that is the commonality. You, we don't have to agree with everything. I don't, I don't like how you preach about that. Okay. Me neither. That's why I watch the videos every week. Like, what did I do wrong? Let me see. Let's see. I can fix it. I actually don't watch them. They play in the background because I can't stand to look at me. I don't even see how y'all do it. That's, that's why people get up and walk out while I'm preaching. Now it makes all good sense. That was a total joke. I promise. I'm not coming for anybody except the people that got up and walked out. But... All right, so, so what is the purpose of the supply chain? Here, here we are. Now, closing number one. Here we go. Closing number one. We've, we've dropped down from 30,000 feet, and we're, we're like 200 feet off the ground. I'm not sure that's how you land a plane, but anyway, here we go. The supply chain provides resources and protection. What does this have to do with groups? Source. Jesus Christ. The source is sealed by our faith. The connection is secured by his spirit. The supply chain is his body because everything that you see in the book of Ephesians is administered through the body of Christ. The believer who says they don't need to be in community with other believers is the believer who is not connected to any good resources because what's being fed into their life is a bunch of religious lies or humanic lies. The body of Christ is the supply chain. He said, but, but what, why is this so important? And like, I, I get resources come from the body, but what, what's this protection thing you're, you're, you're speaking of? Chapter 6 unpacks this. This is a reality that so many believers don't like. And in, this, in the same way, and I, I'm, I'm not jabbing at anybody because I, I do the same thing. I'm a human being just like you. But in the same way that we've reduced worship to three songs on Sunday, and we say, that's worship. We do the same thing with community. And we say, well, I'm a part of a small group as if being a part of the small group fulfills the commandment of God to be in community. No, the three songs we sing on Sunday are just the open door to show you how to get started. The small groups are not community. They're just the open door to show you how to get started. Real community is going to go beyond that hour to two hours that you connect with other believers during the middle of the week. And the problem is the church got so used to small groups that it's now become another church tradition and it's lost power. You're like, what a weird thing to say on the day that you're launching small groups. Yeah, you're, you're right. I'm not saying that every need in your life is going to be met by the few summer small groups that we offer. I'm not going to lie to you. You know better than that. But I'm going to tell you, it's a great place to get started. It's a fantastic place to get started. It's going to open you up into a place where real unity can be developed. And when your life isn't displaying holiness, there's another believer that goes, got a little something on you there. 
Because when you're in community with someone, they can say, hey, you got something on your face and you're, you're not, oh my God, I go, go run. No, you just pick up a napkin, you wipe it off and you keep going. You live in love. When you've allowed your walls to come down that separate you from other people. Every believer needs community. But this is, other than the identity of who God actually is, this is what the enemy has fought more than any other thing in faith since the beginning when he was kicked out of heaven. Connection with other believers. Because he knows, I don't care how connected you are to the source, if you're taking on other resources and your supply chain is broken, you're not effective. And all of a sudden, your life becomes like the port of Long Beach. And ships are piled up. And people are standing on the bank saying, where's my stuff? And Amazon's like, I can't deliver it. Because they, the ship ain't dropping it off and the trucks can't pick it up. And the dude can't throw it at your front door like they do. When your connection with the source is weak, the supply chain that's feeding you is not from God, and so the enemy fights you. Oh, you're too busy to be connected. You're probably right. But your life's not producing anything of any legacy. And you have no protection. Say, I'm not sure I believe that. Okay, cool. I'm not mad at you because we're family. But I'm the family with the big microphone, so I'm going to prove my point. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 10, or chapter 6, verses 10 to 17. There is no Ephesians 10, in case you were wondering. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 17 says, Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. How do I get the strength of his power? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's where the power gets in you. Is it optional? You, you, you tell me. Doesn't look like it is. Verse 11. Clothe yourself in the full armor of God. Wait, Jesus is going to clothe me with his armor. No, no, he's not. He says, clothe yourself. I don't know how to do that. Okay, cool. Clothe yourself in the full armor of God. Why? Why do I, why do I need to get involved in my salvation, God? So that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Here's the deal. Hear me. You're not struggling with life. You're not codependent. You're not. You're not even really addicted. That's messing people up. But you're not. You're not. You're not really self-righteous. You're not really undisciplined. You just can't stand against the schemes of the devil. Because you have no power. Not only is your connection weakened, but your supply chain is broken. I need to usher to help me out there, please. Your supply chain is open and broken. And because it's broken, everything in you can get out. And everything that's supposed to be coming to you is not making it. And you need part number XJ47-6. And you got part number N. Like, something ain't working. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't stand against the schemes of the devil. You're not struggling. You're in spiritual warfare. 
Pastor, I can't walk away from this. You're right. No more true words have ever been said. You, you were right. Did you see the check engine light going off? Because we heard it. Your connection's weak. Your supply chain ain't working. Flashing, neon, emotional sign going off saying, danger, Will Robinson. Danger, Will Robinson. Trust it. It's telling you something. You don't know what it's telling you, but when it goes off, you need to go right back to the altar. And you just say, hey, Jesus, I don't know what I did. I don't think it had anything to do with the fact that I hit that railroad track on Citrus doing about 65. Because I wanted to fly like an eagle. Because I don't like the present. I'm ready to go to the future. And when I came down and, and the bottom of that thing went sparkety, 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 and I was just like, I, I'm pretty sure that had nothing to do with it. And he's like, yeah. Let me plug you into the source real quick. And he goes into the onboard computer and goes, I am the author and the finisher of your faith. I am your shepherd. You don't have need of anything. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am your sustenance. He who comes to me, though he were dead, will live again. And next thing you know, the light goes off and that connection is secure. And he says, just, here's what I want you to do. I want to keep it overnight. I know you're ready to go, but I, I want to keep the vehicle overnight because in that secret place of just dwelling in my presence overnight, when you don't even know what to say, I want to start to pray through you in a language you don't even know how to speak because I want to sustain you and encourage you and edify you in a way that you'll never be edified any other place. I want you to see exactly what my resources can do. Verse 13, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may, may be able to stand your ground on the evil day. And having done everything to stand, go into the beginning of the next verse, stand. I've done everything to stand, Pastor. I don't know what to stand. I'm tired. Stand. How? I'm so glad you asked. No, you don't need a meeting with me. I'm going to give it to you right here. Verse 14, you, everybody say me, fasten the belt of truth. How do I fasten the belt of truth? You have to actually pick up the belt of truth. And you have to put down the interwebs. You have to put down the blogosphere. You have to put down the theological tome. You've got you've to stop listening to every preacher on every channel of YouTube thinking they have a word for you. They don't. They don't know you from Adam. Or even Steve. They don't know you. They don't have a word for you. The word does, though. Okay. You have to fasten the belt of truth. By the way, in the supply chain, which is the church, in case you missed that, you get the word of truth. So if, if, you're, if your diet of connectivity is people who are not walking the same path with you, because they got mad about something, they're not going to speak truth. They're going to speak opinion. And when you can step out of the presence of God and go step into a relationship with somebody who's causing disunity and you don't have the spiritual wherewithal to even recognize it, 
you wonder why there's so much damage that you don't have the belt of truth on. You have another belt. You got some big like sash on and it's not doing anything. Anyway. Continue on to verse 14. Put on, everybody say, me. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. You got to pick it up. You got to put it on. Verse 15, fit your feet with the preparation of the good news of peace. Put on some peace shoes. Stop fighting over everything. Stop leaning into conspiracy theories. Turn off talk radio if it ticks you off that bad. If you don't like what they say on CNN, turn it off. If you don't like what they say on Fox News, turn it off. If you don't like what Daily Wire, like you watch Daily Wire and your brain gets blown and you get ticked off at everybody, stop. Please don't listen to Glenn Beck. He's a whack job. I'm just saying. <laughs> don't fill your life with all of this other junk. Put on shoes of peace. I'm not going to be a peacekeeper. I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to walk into the confusion with my feet shod with the peace of righteousness. Hey, y'all fighting? Let me step on in here with my peace shoes. Y'all don't want to listen? I will moonwalk right on out of that. Y'all didn't even know. You, you didn't even know. You didn't even know. Getting jiggy with it. But anyway... Number four, verse 16, you got to take up. Everybody say me. You have to take up the shield of faith. Wait, wait. I thought my faith was the information. No, your faith in who Jesus is and what he already did and what he is continuing to do literally becomes a shield that comes around your entire front, which is, by the way, if you turn around, he can still get you. So you got to keep walking with the shield in front of you. What shield? The shield of your faith. Don't turn around and run. Keep walking forward with the shield of your faith in front of you. Well, where do I get this? You have to pick it up. I don't know where to do it in, in the supply chain. It comes in the supply chain. Well, I, I went on www.christianstuff.com and, and I, it's in the supply chain. That's why God took the lonely and put them in a family. Even if the preacher preaches too long, he puts you in that family on purpose because you needed what was in that supply chain. And I know you didn't necessarily like it. He was like, oh, that rubbed me wrong. He's like, take it anyway because I know what you're about to walk through and you don't. Stay connected. Don't let it get little. Just stay connected and get the Holy Ghost. Come on, Jesus, seal me up because I'm feeling a disconnection. And he's like, come on, Shonda. And he like begins to like overwhelm you. Y'all didn't even know I knew how to do that. But anyway, take up the shield of faith. And then notice this. Everybody say me. Verse 17, take on the helmet of salvation. Ooh. Ooh. So Jesus becomes a helmet? Yeah. What does he do? All them fruit loop thoughts that you're thinking? I don't know if you've ever put on an ancient military helmet. Anybody besides me did that? Like, I know Tim does in the, at Laffer Park on the weekends. I'm just kidding. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. I love that he lets me tease him like that. He's going to throw things at me later. But, but like, Tim does not do that. He does not do that on Saturdays. It's Thursdays. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Pastor John does it with him, though, so. 
But if you've ever put on, if you've ever put on one of these ancient helmets, first off, I don't know how they did any battle wearing those things. You can't see Jack. And I don't care how loud Mel Gibson would be yelling at you before you went into battle. When those things are on, you can't hear anything. That's why you put the helmet of Jesus on. So you can't see anything except where he turns your head and you can't hear anything except what he speaks into you, which is right here. So the more that you put the helmet on, I'm just going to stay right here. They voted this in. I'm going to stay right here. They overturned this. I'm going to stay right here. They said this about you. I'm going to stay right here. The world's falling apart. I'm going to stay right here. Monkeypox has taken over all of coronavirus. I'm going to stay right here. And we wonder why I'm getting caught up in everything because you're not putting on the helmet and you're looking around and you're listening to everything. I just need a word. Please, YouTube, give me a word. It can't. Then lastly, verse 17, everybody say me. me. Take on the sword of the spirit. Okay, here's what's really interesting. This is a vital element in the helmet. And I'm losing my hair, and it would mess up what little I have left, but I was, I was thinking of putting this on my head, but that would just, and some of my personal notes may fall out, so I'm not going to do that. So imagine that this is on me, okay? This is my helmet. The Word of God, y'all with me? Word of God. But this is also the sword of the Spirit. I put this on to show me where to look and what to listen to, and then I take this into me to know how to fight against my temptations, and when my temptations come on, I don't just take the thought captive. I have to make it subject to the name of Jesus. Well, I don't know how to do that. That's what this is. This is subject matter to make the enemy subject to the name of Jesus. You have to put it on your head. Stop listening and looking at everything you shouldn't listen and look at. Y'all got me? Stop fighting with words that come out of your mouth. Start fighting with the living word. This is how you live in community. So let me close with this. Stay connected to the source. How do I stay connected to the source? Live in unity with Jesus. Live in unity with Jesus. If you say it, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't have to understand it. Stay in unity with Jesus. And let, let me tell you, no matter what religion tells you, you can't be in unity with Jesus if you're not in unity with his body. You need the body of Christ because he is the source. His spirit is the seal on the connection and the security of the connection, but the supply chain through which everything you need to be an effective believer and to accomplish everything in this life is his body. You can't do it by yourself.